you're listening to the Tongue Tie Experts Podcast, a weekly program providing information and support for those families impacted by tongue and lip tie and the professionals caring for them. I'm Lisa Palladino, a midwife and a lactation consultant with over 30 years of experience. If you are a parent looking for answers or a professional who is curious to learn more than what you learned in school on this topic, welcome. This podcast is for you. A gentle disclaimer, please do not consider anything discussed on this podcast by myself or any guest of the podcast to be medical advice. The information is provided for educational purposes only and does not take the place of your own medical or lactation provider. Thank you. Welcome everyone to the Tongue Tie Experts podcast. I'm Lisa Palladino, and in this episode, I'm very honored and excited to be talking to Kelly Kendall. Kelly is an IBCLC, just like I am, and I'll let her tell us a little bit more about what she does and who she is. Kelly? Uh, Well, thank you so much for having me, Lisa. I'm really excited to be here. Um, My name is Kelly Kendall. I am a nurse and a private practice IBCLC. Um, I support families virtually and in person here in Maryland. I specialize in tongue ties and oral dysfunction. um, And I also launched a comprehensive breastfeeding education platform called Boob School, where I kind of give the lowdown on what to expect with breastfeeding so people can avoid a lot of the common challenges that people face along the way. So that is for pregnant families? Yeah, it's really for both. Um, If people are able to do it pregnant, they can avoid a lot of challenges. And I really encourage that, but I don't want people to feel like it's ever too late. You know, there's always things to learn and support to get. Um, And so I'm happy to be able to kind of do both with that as well. I totally, totally agree with that. You know, it's never too late, no matter what stage you're at, if you haven't had support and you start getting it, It can always improve things and you may get to a place where you never imagined if you reach out and you learn, get the education you need around breastfeeding. Um, Absolutely. Something so poorly lacking. So your service is amazing because um, it's hard, especially since COVID time, right? It's very hard to get the right education. Hospitals aren't having classes like they used to and and they're lacking. (laughs) Yeah, I was a hospital-based IBCLC for a couple of years, and those providers are doing the absolute best they can in kind of an impossible situation. I mean, people are there for vaginal deliveries 24 hours. I mean, that baby is barely woken up to breastfeed by the time they're being ushered out the door. And I just saw this huge disconnect between kind of this perfect picture that we would paint for people of what early breastfeeding is like, and then kind of the reality of it. Um, And I wanted to kind of fill in the space there with, you know, actionable things that people can do that make a really big difference. And with breastfeeding, I mean, you know this, Lisa, it's not necessarily these really high tech interventions. 
often it's like really simple shifts that you can make that really are game changers and make things a lot less stressful and a lot more enjoyable for you, which is really the ultimate goal. Yeah. Don't you sometimes have this experience? I know that sometimes I'll have a family here with me in my office and I'll say something that I think that is common knowledge, but they've never heard because for us, we know Mm -hmm. so much that we forget that not everybody knows all the little things that we do. And I'll say something really simple and, and a light bulb will go on like in their, in their eyes, I'll see them go, Oh, wait, wait, nobody ever told me that. Yeah. You know, and it's something easy. It's something that, you know, just everyday stuff that you thought they knew, you know, you just assume that people know because we are such so expert in it or so. Absolutely. So I was also a hospital based IBCLC. That's where I started um, my IBCLC career. That's where I trained. And the outpatient stuff is a lot different. It is. Yeah. And I just had an interview yesterday. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure if that podcast is going to um, air before this one does with a mom and her experience with her in hospital IBCLC um, assessment. And, you know, mm-hmm. what I'm saying about how to no fault of their own, you can't possibly do what we do in an office with assessment, with birth history, with health history, with baby history in that little look, look and see, oh, the latch looks good. You know, you can't possibly get that same result. So I, I want to keep putting that idea home to listeners that I would never want anybody to think that they had an IBCLC um, assessment if they just had somebody in the hospital come in and say the latch looked good, because I've seen that before, right? Have you had that experience where people will say, well, I didn't think to call a lactation consultant because the one in the hospital said that everything looked good. Yeah. I mean, I think that's such an important piece. Um, And, you know, breastfeeding is a really multifactorial, like dynamic situation. There is so much that's going on. And I mean, you know, this from being at the bedside, those first couple days and hours, babies can change so much. I mean, there were times when I'd see a baby on like day two of life and by day three, they were doing something completely different and acting like a completely different baby. Absolutely. You know, if things were going well in the beginning, there's no shame that if you kind of fall off the the horse a little bit, the more support people have, you know, it just makes everything so much easier for you. I can't tell you how many people are like, I wish that I found you sooner. Oh, I know. And why didn't anybody tell me to come to you? (laughs) Get that. Right. And I think it's really, I tell my clients, like it's also up to I think women and and breastfeeding families to turn to their friends and the people in their community to be like, look, I know the culture tells you, you need every single breastfeeding pillow and every single accessory and a $400 baby stroller, but like really prioritizing your education and your self-care and the support is what's going to make the difference in what your postpartum experience is going to be like, period. 
Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> we we were talking before I hit record about how much we have in common, how much our views are aligned. And sometimes the things you say, I feel like came out of my mouth. It's yeah. really hysterical because I say all the time. I mean, I've had parents that say to me that they can't afford to come to me. And if somebody really can't afford it, I accommodate. Right. But they just posted their maternity you know, photo shoot and they're having a baby photo shoot and they had this huge baby moon vacation. And I'm like, well, if you choose where your money is going, that's going to support you to your goals. If those are your goals, that's fine. But don't, you know. Right. Right. I, and, and I think that just- might sound really like. I don't know what to some people, but I, I just have to be honest that sometimes that bothers me that. The support that we give, yes, everybody should be covered. It should be included. Mm -hmm. But if it's not, it shouldn't be thought of as something extra for those who could make the choice to afford it. Yeah, and I think it's it's a (laughs) cultural thing. Like that's what is is in the dominant culture of what what's important. You know, it's so much like external, like how can I make a lot of, you know the external parts of my postpartum experience good, but I think reprioritizing what's going on internally in your own body and your own mindset and, and experience is really what makes those big shifts. And I think when you've had a family that you've walked that with, you know, they're going to, they're going to be the person that says to their sister, like, you know what, like, take a breastfeeding class, make an appointment before you think you need it, like check in with someone who you really trust, because that's, you know, you and I can say it a million times, but it's only when the, the mothers themselves are the ones that are changing that. And I do see a shift, um, a little bit. And I, I hope that we just keep seeing things moving in that direction. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, the IBCLC profession was only established in 1985. Yeah. For those of you who are listening who are young, 1985 sounds like a long time ago, but it really wasn't that long ago when you think of the healthcare system. Yeah. You know? So most people do what their parents have done, right? When they when they give birth. And if their parents haven't even had the opportunity to know that there was IBCLCs, then when they give birth, it's not going to be in their frame of reference as something to do. Right. Right. So, and, and yeah, it takes a long time for the culture to change, but I do see a shift as well there. You know, it started out with realizing that breastfeeding is a priority. Breastfeeding is important as a societal shift. And now it's, become obvious that, okay, we, we can all say it's important. However, what are we going to do to help parents to achieve their goals with it? If it's really that important. Right. Cause otherwise we're just guilt tripping people, (laughs) you know, wars and all that. Right. Yeah. So you mentioned before about how babies are different, you know, like from the first day, from the first moment to the next day, to the next day. And, that like segues into something that I really wanted to talk to you about because there is a rash of running to get baby's tongue tie tongue ties clipped. And I hate that word, but that's, that's the common word used 
um, without really giving that baby a chance to figure out what's going on. Do you see that as well? Yeah. And I'll be honest, like it wasn't until I was really educated about oral function and nervous system development and all that sort of stuff that I started seeing this. I mean, even as a nurse who had really great, you know, decent knowledge about breastfeeding and access to IBCLC support with my second child, I knew he had a tie and I wanted it fixed as soon as it could possibly be fixed. This was before I was an IBCLC because that was, you just feel like, okay, this is the problem. And I just have to address it. Right. And right. you want an answer. You want, you an, want answer. an answer. You want it to and be better. I want to fix him. I want to help him. Right. And where I see the really big differences with babies is when we zoom out, mm -hmm. look at the baby as a whole person. Um, you know, where are they structurally? Where are they nervous system wise? Mm -hmm. um, because if you, for instance, like if you had a baby who had a really traumatic delivery, who is really activated and crying all the time and very difficult to soothe and that maybe isn't the right time for that baby to get a release. Right. And, um, yeah. and don't you also feel like that baby in that state might be nursing poorly because of the state they're in? Absolutely. Really? You know, and I think those, so much of what I do, I feel like is really unglamorous, like oh, yeah. in terms of how complex it is. Like, mm -hmm. it's like, get it's, the more we learn about breastfeeding and a lot of things in general, the more we go back to like really the basics, like mm -hmm. get in, get in bed with your baby, mm -hmm. get your baby against your body, co-regulate with your baby, get your nervous systems back down to a place where you're calm and connected because, you know, parents, when they're making that decision also to rushing toward, towards a release, they themselves are often in like a, a fight or flight, like Absolutely. response. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, so I, I look so much more now at like, where, where's the whole family right now? Um, and how can we get them in the best place structurally, you know, and nervous system wise to be able to to have the best outcome from a release. Absolutely. And I, I knew instinctually that you were going to have similar views on this as I do, you know, holistic management of the whole dyad, right? Mm -hmm. You want I mean, and I like to say there's three, there's three patients, so to speak, the mother or the parents, depending on how they identify the baby, and then the feeding, I consider the feeding like a patient in itself, right? So yeah. like each of those needs an assessment, an evaluation, and a plan. Right. And sometimes we're doing that separately, whereas we're, you know, making sure that the, the mom's milk supply is okay and healing her nipples and feeding the baby. Absolutely. That comes priority number one, whatever that's going to look like, and then settling the baby where they have to be, um, developmentally, neurologically, emotionally, um, right. and then getting it all together. So there's, right. there's always, it's like a three-legged stool. It's so, it's so true because if you just rush to work on, you know, work on the feeding, for instance, like if a mom, every time she goes to latch her baby feels 
re-traumatized and triggered and stressed out. And her stress level is like a 10 and she is about to cry even before anything happens. I can latch that baby for her, but Mm -hmm. if I really fixed anything for them, you know, I, so I really go back to like, how can we address like that mom? Like maybe she needs a 24 hour break and to really work on getting herself calm and supported. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think having a really long view of meeting your breastfeeding goals is where I see people get the furthest and actually enjoy the process so much more than if they just like rush to fix everything. Right. Or what they think they should do. I have such similar experiences. And I think that the older I get or the more experience I get in this field, the more of a long-term view I take in my plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, absolutely. It's hard to let parents understand that because it's an immediate, they're immediately there, right? But I often tell people like, if they come to me say on day six, right? And they're worried about going back to work in, in eight weeks. I'm like, wait a minute, that's, that's a lifetime from now, mm-hmm. right? Everything is going to change, but we have to, we have to look at what what's going on now and not, not worry so much, but let's set things up now so that when that is going to happen, it'll work for you, but don't yeah. get lost in the, I'm going to have to leave. So I might as well, whatever right now, let's right. smooth it out for the long view. Um, the same with tongue tie, you know, one of the um, worries I have about having the name tongue tie experts is that people are going to assume that all I care about is releasing baby's frenum. And Mm -hmm. that's absolutely not the case because I think that there's been such a pendulum swing from ignoring it completely to get it done right now. Mm-hmm. And I don't think either of those is the right place to be because this is an individual, um, individual approach, individual assessment, and it has to be a functional assessment, not just a structural assessment. Are you a professional that feels like you didn't learn enough about tongue tie in school? Whether you're a lactation consultant, a nurse, a nurse practitioner, a midwife, a doula, a doctor, a speech-language pathologist, a chiropractor, PT, OT, dentist, etc. I don't mean to leave anyone out. Anyone who works with pregnant or breastfeeding families in any capacity who is curious about tongue tie is welcome in the Professional's Guide to Tongue Tie in the Breastfeeding Infant. What you'll learn We have four modules, assessment, treatment plan, phrenotomy, and aftercare. So much great information, and it comes with a community. I didn't learn this in school, did you? Tongue tie treatment can be complex, and those who expect relief of symptoms with a quick snip or even a laser release, even by an experienced provider, are usually disappointed. Join me to learn protocols that offer an organized and simplified plan to support families through decision-making, preparation, treatment plans, procedure if needed, and aftercare. 
learn the teamwork model of care. Knowing why and which providers are necessary will make things easier for you and provide effective outcomes for your patients. Please sign up today. The link is in the show notes, but you can go to my website, tongtieexperts.net. Go to the professional tab. And one last thing, since you listen to my podcast, you'll get 15% off just by using the coupon code PODCAST15. And the word PODCAST is all in caps. Can't wait to see you in the group. Take care. And we have to have patience for the for the mother and the baby. Yeah, I think that is such a big piece of it. I mean, I can think of so many dyads that I've worked with where, you know, we'll have an appointment and they're like, okay, well, when when can I get it released? And I'm like, a month? Like, right, I mean, right. there's a lot of work to do sometimes right. beforehand. And that might mean mom is pumping or using a nipple shield or needing to supplement or whatever where stair stepping up to their goals. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's where, you know, a, a lot of times you have to really help support that, that parent and make sure they understand that it's safe to wait. Like we want to wait because if we just release that frenum without addressing any of this other stuff, you're not going to see the results that you're hoping to see period. Absolutely. Um, I mean, there's that rare case yeah. where things are better right away or seem to be better right away. Right. There definitely are yeah. with babies who yeah. like other than their frenum, they're, they're moving their body really great. They're able to get into a really wonderful position. They're pretty well regulated. Like then that's the case. But if we're talking about these babies that ha- are having a lot of issues, it really might take a couple weeks to get to meet their goals and that that allowing, you know, the expectation that that's okay and that's normal and that's not a th- failure of them as a parent. It's just, this is a process and having a really long view of what that process looks like. Right. And that goes into the amount of emotional support and education that we need to provide. And we do provide, you know, sometimes um, after a day, you know, I don't, I'm not very busy in my office anymore. I, I limit my encounters if I have two people, two families in one day, sometimes I'll come downstairs because my office is in my house and my husband will say to me, you look exhausted. You only saw two patients. <laughs> I'm like, you have no idea because yeah. those two patients were like six patients. If we think mm-hmm. about pouring into them and we're giving, giving, giving so much of ourselves and getting to that place, figuring out the place where they need to be, what they need to hear that's going to help them and giving, giving, giving. And it, it can be, it can be quite a lot. It can be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's definitely, it's a lot more than anything else with my job. I feel like it's a lot of emotional holding Mm -hmm. of, you know, of parents, of unmet expectations, of witnessing people's frustration and their pain. Um, and so, yeah, it definitely takes a lot of, of self-work to be able to hold that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm somebody that, you know, fundamentally, like I, I don't 
care, I'm using quotes, like about what exactly their breastfeeding experience on paper looks like, like whether or not they use formula or nipple shield or how long they used to nipple shield or how I just really, I fundamentally want families to feel good and connected with their baby and that feeding relationship with their baby to be one that is peaceful and connecting. And I would so much rather a family, you know, if that mom is absolutely miserable and activated every time she tries to latch that baby, I will rather support her to pump and bottle feed and look into that baby's eyes while she's bottle feeding and bond with that baby that way than to, you know, torture herself doing something that isn't working for her. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, I just had a conversation this morning that goes right along with that idea. Um, A mom that had some medical complications after birth and she had to be hospitalized again. And the baby was having trouble before and we had already gotten gotten to a pumping plan and she was literally afraid to latch the baby again. Every time I go to put him near me, he gets upset. So I said, well, what if you do it in a way that has nothing to do with him getting a feeding? Either put him on your chest near your breast while you he's asleep or after a feeding so that there's no pressure on either of you. Right. She, she said to me, Lisa, that's such a great idea. I wasn't, I I didn't even think of that, you know, and and that's one of those things. Like to me, it makes perfect sense. Like it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Right. You find the place that works for you. And then sometimes it migrates back to where you wanted to be. Right. And that mom may need a full week of that before she's regulated and connected enough with that baby to feel like that latching feels possible for her. Mm -hmm. But if we just blindly push her and be like, look, this is what you need to do, make it work. Mm -hmm. How are we really supporting their experience? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think that's such an important, important piece of it. And parents, new parents are so vulnerable and, Mm -hmm. you know, especially when there's been some sort of birth trauma, like they really, you know, really need a lot of support and holding and connection with their baby um, and support to make breastfeeding work. And birth trauma is rising. I mean, from what I see, it's just getting worse and worse and worse. The people having horrible experiences and complications and not having the birth they expected. Yeah. Just getting harder and harder, but that's, that's an episode for another day. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm sure you having worked in the hospital, myself having worked in the hospital yes. we can work on that for a really long time. Yeah. But let's get back to what we were saying about um, the tongue tie assessment. And, you know, I preach that it's what it, it's what it does. It's what the tongue can do not what it looks like. So sometimes we can look at a mouth and we can see a frenum that looks like it might be restricted, but it could, it might not be that that's causing the breastfeeding issue. Do you find that as well? Yeah. I mean, I certainly don't, you know, I, I, you know, I'm looking at if I'm supporting a family virtually, for instance, like, of course, I'm not able to put my finger in their mouth through the Mm -hmm. computer, but 
I'll do things like we'll look at it. We'll talk about exactly how it feels when mom breastfeeds. How does a bottle feeding go? Is there clicking? Is there leaking? Is there, um, you know, sort of signs that there might be some sort of oral dysfunction with the tongue? And then I refer out to somebody who is able to do a functional assessment in their area. Yeah, because it really, it doesn't, because sometimes those frenums that even look the most restricted in terms of like being more to the tip of the tongue are actually the ones that are least impacted. And the ones that are really posterior and very difficult to see are the ones that we see more actual functional feeding issues with. So I think exactly, I say the same thing. Like it's not how, it's not what it looks like. It's how it operates and how it functions. Um, And also breastfeeding is a really dynamic experience. Like if you had a baby who had the same mouth, the same tongue, and you had a mom who had different nipples and a different milk supply, their feeding experience might look, would look very different. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And if that same parent had a different experience at birth, the baby had either a traumatic or an atraumatic delivery coming together, all of those things play into what the experience is going to be. And I'm just, I'm just um, remembering something else you said that made when we were talking a couple of uh, comments back about the experience of the family in the breastfeeding relationship. And I want to shout from the mountaintops that the the experience matters. It's not just about getting milk into the baby. Absolutely. Like your experience matters and feeding your baby should be a pleasurable experience. Right. Does that mean that you're not going to have like issues and frustrations and every day is not going to be rainbows and sunshine, but fundamentally it should feel like a good connecting experience. Mm -hmm. And if it, if it doesn't, then you really deserve to work with someone that can help you make shifts. So it becomes that way or helps you to advocate for what you need. But I think we ask, we're asking an impossible thing of parents. If we're like, all right, you should breastfeed, but we're going to give you very little support. And we expect you to just be a martyr and suffer through it. And that's what a like quote, good parent would do. Mm -hmm. Um, which I think is just a total, no one wins with that. Um, and People don't feed for a long time with that. I have a very long view because I would rather you do what you need to do and have an enjoyable, long, connected relationship than hating yourself and having to stop earlier and really having a lot of, you know, grief and sadness around it. Right. And not, and not making it an experience that you look back on as pleasurable as something that you did that was positive in your life. All of that is so important. It absolutely is. Yeah. Well, Kelly, if, if you could tell families one thing that would be your message to families listening, or even to healthcare providers who are listening to the podcast, about what IBCLCs do, what would that be? I would say that a good IBCLC is somebody that 
has a holistic view of the family that centers the feeding relationship and the experience of connection above everything else, um, who, who tries to empower parents to feel good about what they're doing to feed their baby, whatever it looks like, because at the end of the day, they're not going to walk away from a consult with you, you know, in, in 20 years or 10 years and remember anything you said, probably, but they're going to be like, Oh, she made me feel really good about myself and that I was a really good parent. And I really think at the end of the day, that's, that, that's really what our job is about. And that's what I'm, that I love most about my job. That's beautiful. I love that. That's, that's a great place to wrap up our conversation for today. Um, but first, I just want you to let our audience know where they can find you, where they can follow you. I know I found you on Instagram. Yes. Great Instagram account. I am most active over on Instagram at the balanced boob um, and at the Also, that's where I have my program boob school that, you know, all this stuff, if it resonates with you about, you know, relationship based feeding and having a feeding experience that's really centered on connection and and really joy, then come find me and I'm, I'm there to support you. Excellent. And all of the links to um, Kelly's, um, Instagram and, and website all will be in the show notes. So if you're listening and when, if you're not driving and you want to check out the show notes, it'll all be there. Thank you so much, Kelly. It was such a pleasure to chat with you today. I'm sure. You're welcome. I enjoyed it so much. Thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the tongue tie experts podcast. Check out the show notes for useful links about the topics we discussed and for ways to follow us on social media. Please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. And if you enjoyed listening, we'd love it if you'd rate, review, and share with your friends and colleagues. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.